welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Invest at your own risk. That was the message from cryptocurrency pros at Yahoo Finance's All-Market Summit Crypto. Grant Fondo, a partner at Goodwin Proctor, and Chamber of Digital Commerce President Perianne Boring told Yahoo Finance's Rick Newman about how investors should protect themselves and what trends may shape the future for cryptocurrencies. We've got a lot to talk about here. There's a lot of news in the last couple of days on policy issues, so I'm going to start with Perianne. Uh, Perianne, you're president of something called the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Just tell us what that is. How old is it, and is it affiliated with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which a lot of people have heard about? So the Chamber of Digital Commerce is the world's largest trade association that's representing the blockchain technology industry. We have over 150 members that are investing in and innovating with blockchain-based technologies. And we're helping with the public policy issues affecting the blockchain industry. So you're the main trade group for this industry, basically. We're the only trade group that's in Washington that's specifically focused on blockchain. There's no other groups that spend 100% of their resources on this industry. And connected with Tom Donahue's organization, the U.S. There's Chamber? No, there's no connection. No connection, okay. Um, Grant, um, I just want to ask you, you're a litigation attorney, you're based in California. Um, what, are, what types of issues arise in this industry at this point? Are they sort of familiar things in the corporate world, contract disputes and stuff like that, or do they tend to be novel things, just like the whole industry is sort of novel? I think it's more about what issues don't arise. There are so many different issues because you're crossing so many different industries and so many different potential regulatory issues. So whether it's through the ICO issues or companies that have formed and have revenue issues, founders issues, there's really, it really runs the gamut of the entire tech and regulatory industry. So do you work with ICOs and how to, how to formulate an ICO, for example? What, what sort of legal issues and regulatory hoops you have to jump through? Is that the kind of thing you do? So there's, um, there's a lot of regulatory and, and legal issues, particularly over the last you know, month or two, there's been a lot of guidance, which has been actually quite helpful. I yeah. mean, that's, that's really helpful. And so there's, so guiding people through that, making choices, um, advising people of the risks, that's part of what we do. Okay, so you said there's been a lot of news uh, in this, in this um, part of the business, including the last two days, and I think including even today when we had Brian Quintens from the CFTC saying he's calling on the industry to start regulating itself and to form uh, a self-regulatory organization or SRO similar to FINRA, which regulates securities firms. Um, your group is, would be in charge of that kind of thing, I think, so why don't you tell us what you're planning to do? So the Chamber of Digital Commerce has an initiative called the Token Alliance. We have over 160 blockchain and token experts from around the world that have come together and we're actively putting together best practices and standards for token issuances. So in the absence of having a regulatory regime that was really created to foster the blockchain technology industry, we are being very proactive and responsible in terms of coming forward as an industry and saying these are the best practices that we want to adhere to. And this is a very responsible way to terms of go about going uh, regulation as opposed to waiting for the regulators to. What is the situation right now? I mean, we've got, you know, we've got, it seems like a new ICO every day. We can barely track them at Yahoo Finance, although we're doing our best. Um, what governs, what, what principles do these happen by now? Are they just Is it whatever the company decides at this point? So there's been over $6.4 billion raised through the ICO process in less than three years. So there's an incredible amount of activity underway. From a regulatory perspective, it's an incredibly complicated landscape. You have multiple federal agencies with different types of jurisdiction over this technology. So you have the CFTC, who we just heard from. You also have the SEC looking at this through the lens of security 
securities laws. You also have FinCEN that's regulating this as convertible virtual currency, and then the IRS who's regulating this as property. And then you also have the states, and in fact, you even have the feds and the states suing each other over who has jurisdiction. So it's a, it's a mess. Um, in terms of the landscape. So we at the Chamber are advocating for a, um, a unique approach that takes into account the unique attributes of blockchain technology. What do you do if you're a company? And you're, how do you think about this if you're a company? Like, whose regulations do you follow? Do you not worry about the regulations? I mean, I think like, who comes about first? The who do you satisfy first, I think, is the question. Well, I think, you, I think the first thing you have to do is figure out what do you want to do? Like, what are you trying to build, and why does it make from a business sense? So it's not, you shouldn't do this as a pure fundraise, et cetera. And then I think you figure out what are the regulatory issues that you're going to come across. And sometimes you make decisions about, do I go left or right? Um, sometimes it can be, you know, I think we would, it's not picking a regulator, but recognizing that you're going to be regulated and trying to figure out which of your product or your business, which avenue is it going to go to. I mean, it's, it's very hard right now um, for businesses to know exactly how do I do this right. I mean, I think there's, there is guidance about how not to do it. And so that's, there's been more of that guidance over the last month or two. From but where? I, from the SEC primarily. Okay. Yeah. And so they've, they've um, issued through the Munchie decision and other kind of statements through the commissioner of sort of guidance about sort of what not to do when you're doing an ICO. I think there is, there's also an issue, these companies are also facing the international issue. So one of the problem, the benefits and the problems of a token, for example, or even a cryptocurrency is they're extraordinarily liquid. And so you, it's very hard to control it. Yep. And so they're cross-border. And so these companies are also dealing with lots of international issues. So it's not just the US, but it's every, every regulator essentially in the world. Um, is there a, uh, like a Delaware for ICOs, a, a, a state or a place that everybody wants to go to because that's the easiest, that's where you get the most favorable regulation? So I think, I think there's a couple considerations. One is the regulatory aspect. I think um, people generally, like Singapore just came out with an announcement that they're pretty, they've always been viewed as a more crypto-friendly place. Mm -hmm. They came in on an announcement this morning, I think it was, talking about that they are receptive to cryptocurrencies and ICOs. So that's a, a jurisdiction. Um, South Korea had historically been. I think they were kind not of trying anymore, to, right? yeah, not so much anymore. Um, Switzerland's always been viewed as one. Cayman Islands more in the context of the tax consequences because there's a lot of tax issues. And so it's a multi-pronged decision tree about where do you locate. I think one of the concerns that people have is when the cryptocurrency first came out, you know, particularly sort of getting attention 2012, 2013, there was a lot of, there became a lot of government activity and it pushed all this stuff offshore. And I think the regulators, it was just so new back then. Now I think the regulators are much more thoughtful about it. Um, and, and I think there's a, you know, there was a meeting yesterday in Congress, right? So I think yeah. Congress and the regulators are trying to hopefully figure out a way to get this regulated so people are not defrauded, but not also push everything offshore. So one of the concerns is that uh if, um, if there's too much regulation, the innovation will not happen in the United States. It will just go someplace else. Um, but they, there are obviously other concerns about consumer protection and things like that. Do, do, I'll, I'll ask each of you whether you, uh, what we heard from the hearings yesterday and from uh, the CFTC commissioner who preceded us, were, are those welcoming sentiments? And is, is that sort of saying we want cryptocurrency development here in the United States and we're going to try to regulate it in a deft manner that doesn't squash innovation? How do you hear all of this? 
There were some very positive developments that came out of yesterday's hearing, but I think the biggest takeaway that we had is that both the chair of the SEC and the CFTC said that it will take congressional action to really address the regulatory frictions that we're currently seeing in the United States. As someone who worked in Congress, uh, it's not a rational process to deal with Congress, and that can take many years. That's a revelation to our audience. They can't, can't believe they're hearing this, but at any rate. So there will be an entire process, an entire time period where there will continue to have uncertainty because of that. So again, it's important that the industry can come forward proactively in a very responsible way in, in, in terms of regulating itself in the absence of having a model that specifically addresses the blockchain industry. But the regulatory arbitrage risk is absolutely real. Uh, there is uh, activity that has already left the United States and even this here. This is where you, in, you set up wherever you can get the lowest regulation. You choose the easiest regulator. Basically is what you mean, or right? where you have clarity, where you know you're not uh, going to okay. go to jail. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and um, and this technology is incredibly powerful. It's really reimagining the way that we transfer value on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, and it's going to have massive impacts on a lot of different areas in uh, the economy. And the countries that get it right, the regulators who are able to come forward and put forward a promising regime that allows for the growth of the industry will see benefits from that. Let me just put it, the question to you a little bit differently, Grant. Is the United States a welcoming place to start a cryptocurrency business or do a coin offering these days? In some ways, yes, some way knows. I think, I think it's a little bit of a scary place for companies, particularly foreign countries who want to come here and they don't quite understand the regulatory regime. It's certainly an obviously much more stable regulatory regime. So whether you think the regulators are doing, being too aggressive or not being aggressive enough, they're honest. You're not, you know, it's not, they're not going to change things dramatically. Whereas other, and I don't think there's other motives other than essentially protecting the consumer. When you have other countries, whether it's a dictatorship or others, you're, um, there can be ulterior motives. You want fear of currency leaving the country, for example. So I think, I think the US is a friendly regulatory environment in some ways, but and I would just go with the comment that she made too, is I think the certainty is the biggest issue. So if you know what the regulatory regime, it has, and there's clear path, you can guide, can you can guide clients, and clients generally, I mean not everybody, most clients are willing to accept it if they understand what it is. Now in this- in We this, don't have anything like that here right now, right? No, I think, I think we now have greater clarity about what you can't do, but I don't- Can you just tick off a few of the things it's clear you cannot do? So, I, well, I mean, so clearly obviously any type of fraud. Right. Um, I think that anything that looks to the SEC like this is really they're trying to make this a big investment and they're trying to pump up the, the, the price of the coins, that's something you obviously want to stay away from. But I think too that what is, would be helpful, and that may just take time, is something that says, okay, we understand these token sales, there is value to them, but we want to regulate them. Here's how you do it the right way. I think we're seeing that in some sense with the securities tokens. So you're having more and more companies explore doing a securities offering through the registered through the SEC to do the token sales. There's still liquidity issues with that and some other issues. But those for past that if they are you know, blazed essentially and we can get those done, I think that's, that's sort of a win-win for everybody. Could you just quickly give us what might be like the five friendliest places for uh, crypto innovation and for coin offerings? You mentioned um, Singapore, Switzerland, is that another one? Switzerland, maybe the North Pole, I don't know. Um, so I, I think Switzerland, I keep hearing about Gibraltar. Quite frankly, I don't know a lot about Gibraltar, um, but that seems to be one. But I think, I think Switzerland's a good one because it has, it has a pretty defined regulatory regime. It may not be the easiest to go through, but I think it's also one that other countries are pretty comfortable with. 
But Singapore, Hong Kong is some, has historically been crypto friendly. I think with some of the pronouncements out of China, that has become slightly less crypto friendly. Yeah. I think Europe is, is somewhat crypto friendly too. UK, you don't see a lot of act, a lot of ICOs going through the UK, but it's a pretty well understood industry in general. Maybe yes. Ireland and Luxembourg will jump on it since they, they're less tax favorable these days. No, those are, those are good points. I've forgotten about those too. In Ireland, particularly because of the tax reasons. And there's yeah. a lot of activity underway in Japan too. Japan, okay. Yep. Um, so let me ask you about, um, I mean, you guys have heard all the um, warnings and criticisms that a lot of these coin offerings are scams, Ponzi schemes, maybe even Bitcoin itself is, a, is a, some kind of Ponzi scheme. Um, help uh, ordinary people understand the risk uh, that some of these coin offerings are going to go up in smoke and it's going to be the dot-com bust all over again? Well, for the retail investor who wants to get involved in the blockchain ecosystem, whether it's participation through an ICO or other means, you really need to educate yourself. So with this technology, you, for one of the first times in history, you can potentially have financial sovereignty where you control your own assets. It's very different than how the traditional banking system is set up today. But with that increased level of opportunity also, be, also brings about um, an, an increased amount of responsibility on the individual consumer. So you need to understand things like private key management. Um, you also need to understand the projects you're participating in. You need to understand the ethos behind the technology that's being created. Uh, being created. And if you don't have a basic understanding of what you're getting involved with, then it's probably not the best time for you right. um, to engage because we are in a very nascent time in this ecosystem. We currently have a very fragmented regulatory regime. The rules to the road are, are pretty complicated from a consumer perspective. So I would say buyer beware. And this is, uh, today it's really more appropriate for a more sophisticated investor. And if you don't know the basics behind what you're getting involved in, um, you're going to take a large degree of risk. So they're clearly uh, right. Some people do want do feel this is exciting technology and they sort of want to be involved for the long term. A lot of people also, it's very obvious, they think this is a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, they see some crypto going up, you know, 100% in two months and they think, I, I just want to get, we know that this is happening. Um, what's your concern that uh, sort of enough people could get burned in, in, in something analogous to the dot-com bust that it tarnishes the whole industry? I'll ask both of you. Go ahead, Perry, and you first. I mean, we're certainly concerned about that, and that's why we're writing best practices today so that the average person can look and see you know, what the industry has put forward in terms of best practices. And if a project doesn't meet what the industry considers best practices, then you may want to think twice about investing in that type of project. Mm -hmm. So having those types of you know, key pieces of infrastructure for the industry will, will serve as a guidepost for the average person who wants to get involved. Um, and is there risk? Absolutely. And that's why it's important for the industry to be proactive and to provide this type of guidance to those who may want to get involved. Grant, how do people sort of sniff out the scammier operations here? What are some of the tells? Yeah, so it's interesting. I was, I was having a drink with a friend of one of my colleagues, and we were at a bar, and we were talking about digital currency and Bitcoin, and the bartender came over and started giving a stock advice, basically <laughs> token advice. Yep. And so I started to think, like, he was clearly very knowledgeable, but I also end. was wondering, like, <laughs> well, maybe I'm not sure whether that's good or bad what he's doing. So... I think, I think the good thing he was doing was he, was he seemed very knowledgeable. I think that you have to understand the risks. I think you also just don't, don't put money in anything, more money than you can afford to lose, whether it's a stock, you know, other than your primary house. If, because you have to assume at some point you may lose it. Things do go up and down. All of it. 
Yeah, I, I, listen, I just think you have to, uh, just to protect yourself. I'm not saying that you should lose everything or that you will, but you, you should never, I mean, I've heard, you know, I was a foreign prosecutor. You hear these stories about people putting all their money behind one person or one project, and I think it's just a bad idea no matter how good an idea it is, because ideas, great ideas, legitimate ideals fail. I think your analogy to the internet is right on in the sense that there will be a sh an economic shakedown, shakeout, and some of these companies will succeed, some will fail. Um, I do think the technological evolution and the adoption of the blockchain technology has gone through warp speed over the last 18 months, and that's been a really good byproduct of what you've seen. But I, I just think you have to be smart and, and be realistic and not, you know, just, you should never just jump on bandwagon. Yeah, don't invest in things you don't understand. Okay. Um, what's your, what is your level, how severe, if there is a shakeout, how severe do you think it will be? And I, I mean, I can provide context. I mean, you know, severe enough that regu regulators suddenly say, holy cow, we have to step in now, or just we hear a lot of stories of some people losing what sounds like a lot of money, but we, it's we, not systemic in any way. There have been cycles of that. Yep. So in 2013, Senator Joe Manchin called for a ban on Bitcoin, and that was one of the signals of we should probably have an advocacy organization to mm -hmm. educate members of Congress and other about the benefits of this technology. During that time, we also had multiple agencies issuing warnings about the dangers of this technology. And in less than three years, we've really turned that dialogue around to where we now have a congressional blockchain caucus, a group of members of Congress who have come together and said, we're gonna protect and foster this industry. We also have you know, the chairman of the CFTC who's come out and said, blockchain technology is in the national interest of the United States of America. So we have seen instances where there could have been very heavy-handed approaches, but we've turned a lot of that around. And there are risks, absolutely, with the new emergence of ICOs, but uh, I am very optimistic that uh, the, the regulators and also the Congress is working hard to understand the space, and they do want to foster innovation, and they do want the United States to continue to be at the forefront of this technology. So 2013 was when Mt. Gox collapsed the Japanese exchange, right? And that was basically the trigger And that's for what caused BitLicense. So yep. you had over $500 million worth of consumer funds that went missing yep. through the Mt. Gox uh, collapse. And you had the New York Department of Financial Institutions, their superintendent, Ben Lasky, in direct response has said multiple times he went forward with the bit license because of what had happened in Japan with Mt. Gox. So if you do see that type of systemic incident where there's a you know, huge amount of people that are um, affected by uh, fraud or manipulation or uh, you just irresponsibility of running a company, so help regulators you, could yeah, respond. Help, so help our audience understand this. Could something like Mt. Like Mt. Gox happen again? you know, relative to the, you know, the size of the industry today, or are there now protections in place that you see that we, we don't necessarily, that give you a high Mount degree Gox of confidence is a, is, that won't it's happen? It's a very again. difficult parallel to make. I mean, Mount Gox, Magic the Gathering, online exchange. I think we all knew that was not a safe place to put financial assets. It was never meant to be a financial institution. Mm -hmm. It was built to trade playing cards. So it was no surprise that was, that was not a successful company. I don't think that was a fail of, uh, of a regulatory regime or even a fail of the industry. It was a failure of consumers putting their money on an exchange that was really never built to be a financial institution. And there were a lot of warning uh, signs that came out of Mt. Gox. There were multiple um, security issues prior to the, the 
uh, before they filed for bankruptcy. I mean, would you continue to keep your money in a bank if the bank sent you notes saying, we had a security tag, we've lost a bunch of money? You would probably say, maybe I should move my money. But people didn't do that in the case of Mt. Gox. So it, it wasn't just a failure of the industry or a failure of a regulatory regime. It, it, it was a lot of different things, and it was people not reacting to um, uh, to signals, security signals that were given multiple right. times. Okay, um, we're getting a lot of questions on Twitter. Uh, this one comes from at Shauna Pud, P-U-D. Uh, I'm just gonna ask both of you real quickly and then I wanna get one more and then we'll be finished up, I think. At the CFTC hearing yesterday, I think that's the, congress the congressional hearing, the comment was made that cryptocurrency companies were just issuing coins to pay for their company interest, leaving coin shareholders, in quotes, holding the bag. Uh, in other words, they're just taking money from people that they're, and they're never gonna give anything back. What do, what do you say about that? I would say, again, that's why we need best practices. So consumers will be able to delineate between the good from the bad, and they'll have some guidelines in terms of how to engage in this space in a safe and responsible way. Grant, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think, I, I don't think that's totally true. I think it, it, every case is different, I think, but I think it, it goes to that person, if that person feels that way, then they should not put in their money in any of it. And, and I think that's a perfectly legitimate decision. I think every, everything is, is, is case specific and there's so much energy and excitement in this industry. I mean, it's really hard for people who are not in it to understand it, but there is so much brain power going and so much effort and real, people are accomplishing amazing things. And so I wouldn't lose sight of that. I think it does need to be regulated. I think it is better for the industry to be regulated um, and have a regulatory path because I do think you don't want another Mt. Gox, for example, yeah. or other situation, because that doesn't do the industry any good at all. One last question. I own a little bit of Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. It's fun just being in the game a little bit. Would you guys be willing to tell us whether you're invested in cryptocurrencies? And if so, what? I have more money in cryptocurrencies than in any formal retirement savings account okay. out there. Put your I'm money all right in. Now, <laughs> Grant? So she didn't take my advice, obviously. Um, <laughs> So I, I have some too. I think, I, I mean, I just, I really enjoy, so I have some of the same coins you do, yeah. for example. I really enjoy being in it because it's just a, a, a fascinating thing. It's a it changing is. thing. Um, it's also, you know, it's part of what I do, and so you want to understand it. Uh, but, I, but I don't know that I would put my whole retirement in it. <laughs> Guys, that was great stuff. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.